0: Well, good morning. Some of you that know me, one of my jobs is I'm a school bus driver, and one of my favorite things is just to listen to the conversations that are happening behind me. Especially the little kids, usually the kindergartners and the grade ones sit behind me. And uh, one of the topics that comes up amazingly regularly is, what are you going to be when you grow up? And uh, so there's always, you know, I'm going to be a a firefighter, or I'm going to be a police officer, or I'm going to be a doctor... You know, I'm going to be a dolphin trainer. You know, all these things that people come up with. In all the years that I've been driving a school bus, I have never heard a kid say, when I grow up, I want to be a used car salesman. Never. Not one time. I can tell you why. Because I was a used car salesman for four and a half years. It's a wicked business. A present company excluded. Anyone in the church that sells cars, come to them, they're good. But... It's a rough business, man. There's a lot of pressure to conform in that business and to, and to compromise. Someone will come in on Thursday and bring a car in. And they'll say, I want to trade this in. This is the biggest piece of junk. I can't stand this car. It's been such a hassle for me taking off my hands. It goes into the shop on Friday, and they spray paint it all up with stuff and put the shiny stuff in the tires, and it shows back up on Saturday. And a new family comes, and you have to say, this is the best car I've ever seen. <laughs> I just, this would be perfect for you. I know that you, we could barely get this car out of the last people's hands. It's a wicked business. There's a lot of pressure to compromise and a lot of pressure to conform. And I, for four and a half years, I asked God, Lord, why do you have me in this business? I put on my ridiculous tie and I go down and drink coffee all day long. I hate this job. And I felt like the God, God was saying, you know what? There's something in you that I want to have worked out. I knew what was right and what was wrong. I've been a Christian for many years, but there was a pretty big grayscale between those two in my life at that time. And what I realized was being in the car business beat that grayscale out of me. God used those four and a half years to realize that either something's wrong or something's right. But the grayscale is not the place to live. Many times I'd tell Dean about my day and she'd say, are you in the gray there? I'm like, oh, God just beat that out of me. Today we're going to look at a scripture written by Paul. I'm not sure if Paul was in the used camel business, but I know that he faced great pressure, uh, and great pressure to compromise, and great pressure to conform. Um, We'll look at the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. It was written maybe AD 55, AD 56. Christianity was growing at this time, and it was expanding all across the Mediterranean region. Um, It was kind of the flavor of the month, and uh, people were jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, because of the growth, because of the, you know, the popularity, because of the miracles. There was just a lot of people kind of getting into Christianity around the late 40s and early 50s AD. Um, and Paul began to really experience some difficulties and the apostolic leaders as they went around the churches. Because they realized there was this crowd of people coming up behind them that were good-looking, smooth-sounding, traveling salesmen masquerading as apostles and traveling teachers and telling the churches what they wanted to hear not what they needed to hear how many of you have friends that always tell you you're wonderful and oh you're just so great and those are okay it's all right to have friends like that i mean it's good right but how much more valuable is a friend who when you've screwed up will actually tell you hey you messed up i love you let's not have you do that anymore that's a true friend These people were false apostles, false false teachers, and they were coming around and just saying, you know, hey, it's all good, Christianity's good, Uh, everything's great with these smooth words, but they weren't preaching the cost of Christianity, and that first generation of Christians knew the cost of Christianity. So today we want to take a look at uh, that scripture, thinking about this group, uh, about 10 years later, Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy, he said, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's almost 2,000 years older that scripture was written, but it sounds very, very contemporary to me. In the net age we live in with blogs and and online stuff and everything, I can just set up markmanfredi.com and start to just say whatever I want to say, and people might come and start to see it and We're just in an age where there's all kinds of sort of designer religion that's going on, and it's even more accessible than it's ever been. So we live in an amazing time, but there are pressures that are coming against the church, the Canadian church, pressures that are coming against you and I, pressures that are coming against Oceanside, pressures for conformity and pressures to compromise. Here's just a few that I could think of this last week. Pressure to update many traditional historical biblical teachings, Pressure to erase gender indicators in the text. Pressure to have a happy, non-threatening message. To make church fun and easy. To develop a brand and market a church-like business. Pressure to turn Christianity into just another religion, a private experience. pressures to protest against the idea of absolute, externally-sourced truth. Pressure to buy into a personality cult of one individual, one big hotshot person, as opposed to team. Pressures to make numerical attendance the only measure of success. Pressure to emphasize secular church growth methods and to grow a church. There's a lot of things that the Canadian church and that we are facing in, the, in this time in history. I think this is an awesome time for us to take a look at the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because Paul had learned some things about living in that kind of environment, and I just see them to be so helpful and so applicable to where we are today. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you've got your Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, the beginning of the chapter, I'll just read 1 to 6. This is Paul speaking to Christians in Corinth, the city of Corinth. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But with the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this scripture. Lord, I thank you for the significance of what I believe it says for us today, Lord. I just pray you'd open our ears, open our hearts. Welcome you, Holy Spirit, um, right now to teach and to guide us in this passage. Amen. So what did Paul know? Well, in verse 1, Paul says this, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. I know those pressures that were coming against Paul, and, and you can read that as you go through the book of 2 Corinthians, incredible pressures to, to give up and to, to cave in and to compromise were against Paul. Why doesn't he give up? He gives up because he understands that this ministry, the ministry he was called to, was given by the mercy of God. That's got to be the starting place for all of us when we think about what God has called us to. If God is not in the thing, we don't want to go there. Remember what Moses said when he had all those people in the desert? Lord, if your presence doesn't go up before us, don't lead us there. It all starts with the calling of God in our life. And Paul says we don't lose heart. How is it that he didn't lose heart? Well, let's look. I think there's some commitments that Paul had made that st- helped him through all of those difficulties and those pressures that were coming on and the other ap- apostolic leaders in that time in history. Let's look at verse 2. Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word by the open statement of truth who would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. See, there's lots of ways to peddle things. There's lots of snake oil schemes in the world and Religion and even Christianity are not immune to that. There are people that will come to try to be able to do things that are disgraceful and renounceful and or are, are underhanded. And that's what was taking place in the spreading of the gospel. These people were coming around saying, hey, look, this is a good gig. You get to stay in the nicest houses. You get the great food. You stand up in front and sound really important. And people look at you and clap and say you're spiritual and wonderful. But what they were doing was they were manipulating the methods for their own benefit renounceful and disgraceful ways. He says we refuse to practice cunning, to use guilt trips or to use pressure tactics or to use emotional hype to get people to do anything for God. It's something that's counterproductive. God is not in that. He says we don't tamper with God's word. Wow, that's a great picture. It's a picture of a wine seller who uh, someone comes and tastes his wares and he gives them the uncut wine that's really good and they buy it. But before they take delivery, he cuts the rest of the wine with water. It's a, it's a watered down version of what they thought they were getting. That's exactly what these preachers were doing. They were taking the word of God and taking away the hard parts, taking away the difficult parts, and just going with the smooth stuff. Jesus is all good. Have him in your life. It's all great. Don't worry about the cost. It all works out. We're all going to get there. You know, that's, that stuff is easy to hear and it sells. But Paul says you can't do that. We don't tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. See, these people were, were buying into that line that the end justifies the means. You know, if people are getting saved, doesn't matter how we're doing things. The end is the end. No. God believes in the end and the means. Both are important that we're connected with that. And there was a hiddenness to this ministry. You see this in here. You know, kind of this... Uh, this facade that these people were bringing out in their life. And it was like emphasizing all the good points of who they were in the gospel, but, but minimizing their faltering or their difficult things or, or the hard words of the gospel. One of the things I love about Paul, as huge as his profile was in the New Testament in the first century, he was so clear to talk about his shortcomings. You know, he says, I was a blasphemer. I was a murderer. What in the world am I doing? leading the church in this situation. He was so clear to talk about, I did not come to you with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power. I I've, I've committed to knowing only Christ and him crucified. So many statements of Paul is saying about that he talks about in terms of that reality of I don't want to be up front, I don't want to be the person. I want to be able to you to see everything. Not just the positive, but the negative as well. One of the things that the strategies were being used was kind of this secret uh, club sort of strategy. Come to me. I'm the only one that knows the truth. You're special. Us four and no more. You know, we're going to have our little thing here. And anytime you start to hear a religious person or a Christian giving you that vibe, be very careful. Because that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is about the kingdom of God, the, the expanding kingdom of God. All nations, all ethnicities, all people, all tribes... That's the, that's the gospel of God. So anytime you get that feeling like someone's like, hey, this is our special deal, don't tell anybody, come over here, I'll give you the straight stuff, be careful. That's the beginning of a cult, really, because the kingdom of God is open. And Paul's saying everything we've done here, we've done in the sight of God, there's been nothing hidden that we've done. You can examine any of our motives or any of the things we're doing and they, sh- and they show up in terms of reality for good and bad in front of the light of God. So what do we take from this? Well, I think in this verse, we take a couple things. One is, I think as a church and as individuals, we have to make the commitment not to use human methods to try to accomplish spiritual results. I hope you understand what I'm saying, but there is a way where you can kind of manipulate church and and make church seem godly and they're human kinds of things. We want to run away from that, that kind of experience that says we can make something happen spiritually. In the fleshly realm, Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. So we've got to really be careful, you know, in, that, in those pressures to try to make something happen humanly. And some of you have been around for a while. You know, in the 80s, the church growth movement came and there was all kinds of statistics and 15 ways to increase your church and 48 books to buy to make things happen. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I bought into that pretty hard. We planted churches based on that stuff. But you know what? It's now, looking back, it looks like a lot of fleshly activity to me and it doesn't really last. And so we got to be careful not to try to do spiritual things in human ways. Paul had learned that. He was making a stand in the first century, and I think we have to come back to that realization to be very, very careful about that. Second thing is this. I think we have to make a commitment not to water down the gospel message. Paul says we dare not temper with the gospel message. This is front burner for us right now in this time as Christians. There is so much pressure coming against this book that says it's outdated, it's whatever, you fill in whatever blanks you want, and it's got to go, or at least parts of it have to go, there is a great pressure that we feel as Christians to either ignore these passages in the Bible, which I call the hard passages, or to soft sell them and not give them the airtime that they're doing the Word of God. The Word of God is the eternal Word of God. Um, God spoke it into a context, but he knew all of history. Scripture says he knows the beginning from the end. So we just have to be really, really careful not to begin to water down, to cut the wine, so to speak, of the word of God. This is God's eternal word. Yes, it's hard sometimes to figure out how do we teach that, how do we apply that in the midst of a changing culture and a changing society. I get all that. I live in the middle of those two worlds every day as a pastor you know, in terms of all the things that are changing and the pressure. But just want to remind us, Paul had made a commitment, wherever this thing leads, I'm not going to cut the word of God out of the picture. Because as soon as we do that, we're in a place where we begin to lose power and lose effectiveness that God has given us. Scripture says that God's word does not return to him void. Sometimes we think we need to dress it up and and make it, you know, more pretty and more amazing. You know what? It doesn't need our help. The word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So we just have to make that commitment to be careful in the midst of this pressure to compromise. Don't let go of the Word of God. It's the timeless Word of God. Now, we have to find ways to communicate it in ways where we're not stupid. I get that. I mean, you know, it's an unchanging world being communicated to a changing culture. That's been the case since it was first written. I get that. Let's go on. Verse 3 and 4. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This little passage of scripture seems strange to me as I was studying. It doesn't seem like it fits at first, but this is what he says. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers and kept them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul knew that there was persecution that came when you began to preach and teach the word of God. Man, this guy lived it. He was thrown into jail. You read his resume, you know, shipwrecked, you know, without food, lashes, eventually beheaded. This is Paul's life. So he, he understood what it means when you stand up for, for Christ. There are people that aren't going to get it. As a matter of fact, they're going to come against you in opposition. Now we have to know that's still the case 2,000 years later. When we make a stand for the word of God, even when we do it lovingly and graciously in the power of the Holy Spirit, there are going to be some people who are going to come against us and resist that. We just have to know that. And Paul explains why that's happening. He says it's happening because Satan has blinded their eyes. We can get all mad sometimes when, when opposition comes in our, in our lives, and we can begin to, to get, when pushback comes, we can start to get angry at people. This is why I loved this course that we did about a year ago in the Bible school called Spiritual Warfare, because it helped me to see that there's a whole lot of things going on in the spiritual realm that we can easily miss if we're just looking at flesh and blood and interactions and people who are angry and their veins are popping out. We're missing things that are going on. So, what is it for us? Well, I think the piece for us is this we have to be able to start to pray for those who oppose the gospel message. When people come at us and when groups come at us and say, you're this and you're that and you're this is ridiculous, don't, have a, don't get your back up and start looking for a fight. No. Realize there's some spiritual things that are going on in that person's life or that group's life. And we've got to pray and humble our hearts and ask God to make a change in their hearts. There's nothing that we can do. We can't talk anybody into the kingdom of Christ. We can't argue anybody into the kingdom of Christ. There's a big thing now, apologetics, learn how to argue your faith. Yeah, you should know a reason for your faith, but be careful about that. You won't argue anybody into the kingdom of God, because if you can do that, somebody else eventually will argue them out. It's by the power of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of sin is the only way any of us ever changed and any way anyone else will ever change we've got to really be careful. And I think Paul has that sensitivity to say, we get that people come against us, but I know why they're coming against this message, because of what Satan has done. And the only way that we're going to overcome that is through prayer and through discipline and through praying and seeing the love of God shed into their hearts. So pray for those who bring opposition against our message. And then let's look at 5 and 6. He says, for what we proclaim... It's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ's sake. I love this scripture, you know. um, There was so much personality cult going on in this time when Paul wrote this. Look at this special, amazing speaker with his big, wavy hair and his nice looks and his smooth words. And come to this conference. The headline of the conference is this person. and You know, all that stuff is not new. You know, and and we just have to be so careful not to begin to develop a personality cult in the context of ministry, in the context of churches. I know churches where the the senior pastor, the guy, preaches 50 weeks a, a year in the pulpit. Nobody else gets in there. And, you know, when that person the church grows, everybody loves that person. It's all about that one person. When they move on or they make a mistake, the whole thing crashes because they've built that around a personality and a cult of one person. Paul is talking about the opposite of that. He says, we don't shine the spotlight on ourselves. We shine the spotlight on Jesus. We see Jesus because it's not about us. I love what God is developing in the culture of Ocean China Church, that it's about a team. I love that Mike and Debs are in New Zealand this weekend and they're gone for three weeks. I love that they travel so much. And and Paul and Katie on the apostolic team. I love that people come to the church and they meet Mike and Debs and say, are you new, new here? right? It's not about one person. It's not a, we are a team that are being built together to accomplish what God wants to do in, in, this, in this ministry. It's not, the, it's not a personality cult. Does that make sense? We have a saying all the time on the leadership team that says, build toward the team. What that means is don't build people to yourself. Don't build your own little kingdom, your own little thing, your own little special club. Build toward the team, the leadership team, and all of us together as saints in this church for what God's doing. We have to be careful about that whole thing and make this commitment to turn the spotlight off ourselves and on to Jesus. That's such a safe place to be. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you as a leader or even as a church begin to say, it's all about us, it's all about my stuff, you're setting yourself up for failure because the devil loves to let you fall and the higher you exalt yourself, the harder the fall will be. So don't do it. It's not about us. It's not about one person. It's not about It's not even about us corporately. I'm going back and forth between the first century and the 21st century. I hope you're not getting your neck broken this morning. But, you know, we have to even be careful as a church about branding. Um, You know, I love what's happening and our church is experiencing growth. And, you know, we have an app. How cool is that? You um, You know, it's got a little orange mountain and a picture of a stream. And cool. But that app is not the thing that will save people. That logo is not the thing that will save people. A growing congregation in a big group where you can't even find chairs, my goodness, we were dealing with this, you know, three months ago, people not finding chairs. Here we are again. Thank you, God, that there's growth and that God is bringing people into this body. But this is not a brand that we're building. It's not a thing. We are part of the church of Nanaimo. We are one of the churches in Nanaimo. Maybe not every church has an app. Whatever, it's okay. We happen to have one, and we're using it to get information out. But you see what I'm saying? It's not a spotlight even on one individual but it's not a spotlight even on a church or on a you know something that's special or a, it's about the spotlight being on Jesus do you see the difference between the two and Paul is saying this is how we're building our ministry we're building our ministry toward Jesus so when we're taken out or you know killed or whatever or have to go to another place the thing continues to thrive because it's not built on a person it's not even built on a brand it's okay that we have a name it's all right that churches have different names. It wasn't that way in the first century. It was just the church in Corinth. But we've kind of gotten these names and that's all right. We have different flavors in the church in Nanaimo. But the name is not the thing. Jesus is the thing. Um, Enough of that. You can tell I'm passionate about that. Um, Make a commitment to turn the spotlight off ourselves and on to Jesus. And then the last part, the last verse in the uh, paragraph is so great. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown to our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I think he goes right back to the very beginning when God spoke into light into the darkness. And he's saying, This is the hallmark of true Christian ministry that it's in the light, that there's not anything hidden, there's no shadows, there's no, Don't go there, don't open that door, don't ask that question. You know, true ministry, true Holy Spirit anointed Jesus ministry is open for everything. It's right out in the light. The scripture says anything that we try to hide will be revealed anyway. So don't do that. You know the Wizard of Oz, right? You big powerful Oz (laughs) smoke, you know, and there's this little curtain in the corner, right? There's this guy in the back with this little thing, right? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. If we're not careful, we can build churches like that and ministries and movements, and we can even, our lives can be like that. Paul's saying, no, this thing is right out here in the light. Everything that we're doing is in the light of God's uh, sight, and we want to be people like that. I know it breaks your heart when we find out about other parts of the church and other Christians historically who have done horrible things in the name of religion, and we're still living in some of those consequences, and people are still present who have gone through abuse and religious abuse and sexual abuse under the covering of of religion, there's nothing that breaks my heart more than that. It must break the heart of God. I can't imagine what those victims have to live with. What's almost worse than that, though, is any kind of cover-up that goes to cover up those kinds of things. And sometimes, as Christians, when we make mistakes, we don't, we're not willing to let that into the open, but we need to be real and say, this is who we are, we've messed up in this, and we need to get this thing right, so that everything that we do together is open. People are not dumb, non-believers are not stupid they could smell a rat they're better at you know what detection than we are sometimes right so don't try to let's not make a facade let's just get over that whole thing of trying to look good or be better than we are because when we do that we're just taking people's attention off of Jesus and you know what else we're making the bar so high humanly that people think well I could never attain that I could never be part of that group because they're so together You see how silly it is to try to have that facade? Let's just let it go. Let's just let it go in Jesus and say, This is who we are. We're people who are growing. Yeah, we mess up. And when we mess up, we admit it. We try to go on from there as individuals and as a church. That's who we are. That's integrity of ministry. And people can smell that too. You know? He's shown in our hearts and given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in the light. So, what's the take-home for us? Well, I think this is the take-home. We're in an amazing time in the life of our church. I don't know if you've recognized it, but, you know, the growth is pretty overwhelming in terms of what's happened in the last six months at our church. Over uh, the summer, there's been probably a hundred new people that have come to this church that, have, that we know about. Uh, and just look around, you know that this is a very different thing than where we were, you know, in the old gym. God is bringing growth, but I just want us to to say, first I want to say thank you God, thank you Jesus for what you're doing, thank you for the expanding kingdom that's taking place in this place among us in this family, but I want to caution us to be careful to not see that as the thing, the growth is not the thing. Ministry can't be motivated by money, greater budgets, cooler stuff, better whatever, It can't be motivated by man's approval. Oh, this is the place to be, Oceanside. Wow, it's it's the happening place to be. You have to go there. No. It can't even be defined by success because success is not how many people are in this room and how many chairs are in this room. True success is the indication of what is the impact of us tomorrow morning in the workplace and at school and with our families and our neighborhoods. That's the measure of success of a church. So I just want to encourage us, and I hope this is not too heavy, but just to say as things grow and as things change, Let's not take our eye off the ball because this has to be about Jesus. It has to continue to be about Jesus. It has to be all about Jesus and the gospel and his expanding kingdom. And the way we do that is we make those commitments. We make a commitment not to use human methods to accomplish spiritual results. We make the commitment not to water down the gospel message. We pray for those who oppose us, knowing that, that we want to see them come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we make a commitment not to, to make a commitment to turn the spotlight off ourselves and on to Jesus. The way to say this, I can just say it best is it's God's message and God's methods. We can't mess with the message, and we can't mess with the methods, how God wants his kingdom to grow. You see, he's given us both what to what the message is and how to, to operate in delivering that message. Both of those things matter. And I think what Paul is saying in this passage is be careful. Keep your eye on both of those things. Another way to say it's God's word, God's way, right? That's his plan for us. Just thinking about a lot of this message has to do with us together, which is okay. It's all right to have a message once in a while like that in terms of our corporateness. But there probably is an application individually too. Um, And I just want to take a minute as we close and just pray for some people this morning if you're feeling like you're in a pressure situation in your life right now to compromise or to conform I just want to pray for you and we want to pray together with you does that make sense if you're in a situation where like, you're feeling like there's this pressure to, to make you move in ways that you know you shouldn't move to go in directions that you shouldn't go in you're feeling that in the workplace or at school or at the family um, would you just stand right now because we want to pray for you Pressure to conform. You're feeling that pressure. Yeah, thank you. I know there's some people here like that. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Thank you for your honesty. (laughs) And Thank you for your honesty. Let me say it again. Yeah. Let's just pray for these people. Lord, I thank you for these precious people and for their honesty, Lord. I, I pray that you would be their portion. Holy Spirit, your voice would be the loudest voice in their lives as they think about these pressures that are coming against them. Lord, I pray you protect them from evil. Lord, give them a sensitivity of what's right and what's wrong. Lord, I pray you draw them closer to you and your word. Lord, I pray that they would be able to depend on your word and know your word and, and have a confidence in saying this is the way I'm walking because this is what you revealed. So God, we pray for them. Lord, I pray you make them a difference. When there's opposition that comes against them, help them to graciously just be loving and pray. Lord, Lord, I pray that they would be difference-makers in their communities because of their stand for what's right in ways that are gracious and loving and caring. Thank you for these. The rest of you, if you could just stand all together, I want to just pray for us corporately, too. As I said, this is an amazing time in the life of Oceanside Church, and this may or may not be your family. You're trying to figure it out. That's wonderful. Just take your time. But for those of us that know that, that this is our church family, This is an amazing time to be praising God, but to be sensitive and to be aware that the changes and the growth and the momentum that are taking place don't become the buzz of this church. Jesus continues to stay the focus. Does that make sense? So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for each new person that's coming. Lord, it blows our minds that people just continue to come, Lord. And I thank you for that scripture that says you put the lonely in families. Lord, I pray you continue to bring people into the church that don't know you, that are just trying to figure it all out. I ask you for salvations and, and for healings, Lord, for, for anointings in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, God. We're so grateful. But at the same time, Lord, we don't want to lose, in the midst of the changes, the reality of who you are. So, Lord, we, we focus on you, Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about a brand. It's not about a name. It's not about a place. It's about you. So, Lord, we just want to glorify you in all this. Protect us in the growth, Lord. It says a funny prayer, God. Protect us in the growth. Everybody's praying for church growth. Here we are growing, Lord. Help. <laughs> Help us, Lord, to be made true, true to your word, true to your ways. Thank you, Father. Amen.